Katie, and this is One, One Kiss, Kiss Means Forever. This is the podcast that out of the blue invites you to go on a grand adventure, but once you get there, things aren't always as they seem. We're talking about the fine line between good and really bad in your favorite made-for-TV romances, the kinds that you see on Hallmark, Netflix, <laughs> Lifetime, and other places during this Christmas holiday season. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we're going to go back in time. Uh, God, this this movie is from December 3rd, 2011, which like hurts my soul a little bit. The, Your little baby soul. My little baby soul. But it's okay. Because uh, it... This movie is secretly old, but I kind of love it, so it's fine. <laughs> but not older than our friendship. That is true. That is true. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome. I don't know if that makes me feel better or not, but... <laughs> All right. Old friends are the best friends. So we're going to be talking about this movie called A Princess for Christmas, um, which, like... Hallmark doesn't even take ownership of anymore. No. Um, so <laughs> it, we have a, a synopsis from IMDb. Um, so at the invitation of an estranged relative, a young woman travels with her niece and nephew to a castle in Europe for Christmas, where she unwittingly falls for a dashing prince. You know, short and sweet. <laughs> uh, it stars Katie McGrath, Sam Hewen, who, in case you don't know, we are talking Jamie Fraser here, um, and <laughs> Roger Moore. So we have Jamie Fraser and James Bond in this movie. Yowza. And, and Morgana. <laughs> That's true from Berlin. <laughs> it's a lot of beauty up in her. Um, <laughs> a, and actually, when I was um, when when preparing for this podcast, Hallmark does have this movie in its like on the website database. You can look this movie up on Hall yeah. HallmarkChannel.com. But the synopsis that they have is almost as long as the synopsis we wrote, <laughs> um, which made me feel really, really good because it was hard to like make sure you have everything, but then also not. It's really yeah. hard to condense. So anyway. Yeah. So, you know what? Let's kick off this synopsis with the film's opening narration, fairy tale style. Once upon a time, in a land called Buffalo, there lived a little girl named Jules Daly, who dreamt of traveling to faraway places where the people sang for a lark and danced on a whim where houses were filled with calliopes and music boxes, mechanical dolls and cuckoo clocks. But alas, not all tales can have happy endings. Jules grew up and still has her dreams. Unfortunately, she's still in Buffalo. <laughs> Which I feel like, I I've never been to Buffalo, but this, this feels very anti-Buffalo. <laughs> <That's the> city. <laughs> Anyway, so Jules Daly, played by the truly illegally beautiful Katie McGrath, like it's, it is a crime, um, works in an antique shop in Buffalo, which Katie wanted me to mention has fierce chandeliers. <laughs> and she's really passionate about antiques and she loves her job. Unfortunately, business is slow at the shop and the owner has to let her go. 
Uh, this is especially bad news because Jules is the legal guardian of her niece and nephew, Maddie and Milo, who were orphaned the last year when their parents died in a terrible car crash. So Aunt Jules is all they have, and now she has no income. So times is hard. Cue the entrance of Paisley Winterbottom, butler to the estranged grandfather who had disowned their father after marrying their mother. It is very dramatic. You'll see. Anyway, Paisley flew all the way to Buffalo to inform Jules and the kids that their grandfather's health is failing and he would like to see his only grandchildren for Christmas. And at first, Jules is very reluctant since this grandfather has ignored them for years, but seeing as how she's jobless, Jules like, hey, this is their one chance to have a special Christmas, what else am I doing? Plus, it will be an all-expenses-paid trip to stay at a castle. Oh, uh, it seems we forgot to mention that our estranged granddad is Duke Edward of Castlebury, played by none other than Sir Roger Moore. Okay, So, Castlebury is snow-covered and magical. Um, and also, just like every other Hallmark European country, a town. Um, and the castle is majestic as fuck. Jules, Milo, and Maddie even have their own maid, like personal maid or butler, attending them. Upon arrival, Jules sets out to explore all the incredible castle antiques, because, you know, she, she, that's her thing, when she literally runs into Ashton, her late brother-in-law's brother, played by Sam Hewen. Um, so, like, they're basically... Mr. Knightley and Emma Woodhouse relationship. Like, their siblings were married, so they're both in-laws to the same people, but they're not related. I hope that's clear. <laughs> uh, so, their meeting is awkward, because they literally run into each other. It's just your average uh, klutzy meet-cute. Um, and things continue to be awkward when they all sit down later with Sir Duke Grandpa. Uh, Milo is this dick 12-year-old, and he calls out his grandpa for giving them the cold shoulder all these years. But Duke Granddad shows no remorse, saying that their mother was a titleless commoner, ouch, and therefore unsuitable to marry their father. See? Dramatic. And to make matters worse, Jules finds out that the Duke does not intend to decorate and doesn't even have a Christmas tree. <gasps> and she thinks that that is crap because she dragged these kids halfway across the world for a holly jolly Christmas. That is a direct quote. Um, so Jules makes it her mission to majorly deck the halls, and luckily all the servants of the house back her up. So Jules and the kids go to the village, or town, Basically, that is the uh, country that they're in, um, to get a Christmas tree. And the servants gather decorations. Uh, Duke Gramps is very angry when he finds out, uh, but sweet little Maddie invites him to join their tree decorating and, of course, offers him the perfect ornament to bring back a flood of childhood memories that make him really happy. So think food critic Ratatouille style. Uh, Duke Grandpa's heart grows three sizes and... The family rift is magically healed. Look at that. Um, so let's steer back to Ashton for a moment. Um, Jules is pretty much convinced that Ashton is a stuck-up rich boy after meeting his friends one afternoon. Um, and she's especially put off by Lady Arabella, who is a major snob and says to anyone within earshot that she and Ashton are practically engaged. 
Jules pretty much writes Ashton off, but then she sees how well he's connecting with Maddie and Milo, and she begins to think more warmly of him. Hmm. So anyway, back to Christmas. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, the Duke has been so moved by the Christmas spirit that he decides to throw a last-minute Christmas Eve ball, which apparently people can attend. Um, because, you know, I guess they have no other plans. Anyway. Ashton Who has plans on Christmas Eve. Right, with, with like, a week notice. Uh, so Ashton offers to teach Jules how to waltz for the upcoming ball, and the two quickly bond and loosen up a bit and get, you know, funky. Um... <laughs> Ashton completely forgets that he has plans with his girlfriend, Arabella, because he's having way too much fun with Jules, which is a uh oh, because, you know, we know that can't end well f- for him, basically. <laughs> but we also know that when two people start to fall in love, there must be some obstacle that keeps them apart. And so here is that moment follow closely. It's hard. So, Jules loves fixing antique clocks, so she helps herself to a broken clock that's just outside the Duke's office. But as she's tinkering, she overhears a conversation between the Duke and Ashton. And at first, they're discussing the guest list for the ball, and then the Duke brings up, in like the same breath, how much time Ashton is spending with Jules. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But then they quickly go back to talking about the guest list to talk smack about some quote, titleless crass lady whom they wish they could uninvite. But of course, since Jules can't see them gesturing to the guest list, she thinks they're talking about her, and then she gets, like, real sad. Yeah, you know, when your crush, when you overhear your crush say, I don't like that person about you, that would be hard to hear. I get Yep, it. that's true. Uh, but then it's Christmas Eve. It's the day of the ball. And Jules is feeling really awkward about sticking around. So when the maid, Abigail, accidentally ruins her dress for the ball that she had with her, (laughs) even though it's not really a ball dress, uh, she takes it as a sign that she should peace out of there and leave Castleberry completely. Um, Leaving the children behind to, like, come back on their own. Unsure. It's fine. (laughs) Jules attempts to escape, but the servants intercept her at the train station. uh, And it seems uh, that they've pooled all their money to get her this fancy-ass dress from Vienna. So how can Jules not go to the ball after that? It's like letting everybody down. Seriously. Luckily, Ashton called it quits with Arabella at the beginning of the ball, so he is free to sweep Jules off her feet. He clears up the misunderstanding regarding what she overheard and twirls her into a dance. And Jules gets overwhelmed by everyone staring at them, so she goes out to get some air. And Ashton follows her and gives her a romantic, love-affirming smooch. And since... One kiss means forever! We know that their fate is sealed. Plus, Duke Grandad has a surprise. Santa himself comes to give presents to Maddie and Milo. It's a holly jolly Christmas after all. Uh, So as an epilogue to this movie, basically, we cut to an unclear amount of time later. But it is not snowy, so at least six months, I would guess, to Jules and Ashton's wedding. See? One kiss does mean forever. I told you. And if you're thinking, wait! This movie is called A Princess for Christmas. 
how does that work with all these dukes around? Don't worry about it, because Ashton is actually a prince on his mother's side. Ha <laughs> ha! Cue the narrator. Not all stories have a happy ending, but for Jules Daly, the dreamer from Buffalo, the story is just beginning, which infers that maybe we get a sequel, but since it's been almost 10 years, probably not. The end. The end! <laughs> so, Woo. what the fuck moments? <laughs> there are a few. <laughs> yes, there are. Why don't you start? Um, okay. So I'm going to start out just by saying that Katie McGrath is gorgeous and wonderful, and I actually really love her as an actress. But can we just say that her American accent is terrible? <laughs> yes, we can absolutely say that. Um, she is Irish, I believe. Sounds right. And it and it seems like I've never seen her any with anything other than her native-born accent. Um, and I almost wonder why they needed to make them American or make her. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. But um, it. I found it to be a bit distracting. Mm, that's um, fair. Um, yeah. Speaking of accents, one of mine. What the fuck moments? So you meet Arabella. Arabella's brother and their parents and they all have different accents <laughs> and it's it's most striking with the brother who basically has like a french accent and like his sister has like an upper crust oh. british accent but it is crazy it is so confusing. I, I I've seen this movie a few times, and I honestly have never I've never noticed that. So, <laughs> thanks. Um, my next what the fuck moment is kind of weird. Okay. And it has nothing to do with the movie itself. Okay. But <laughs> so I, I don't know if you thought this, Hannah, but the actor who plays Milo. Mm -hmm. seems to me like he has like the face and head of a grown man on like the body of a 12 year old and the voice of a 12 year old like he, <laughs> he to me he sort of looked like chris evans in captain america before he gets like captain america-fied <laughs> so a little uncanny valley-esque yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I it always sort of bothered me. I was like, this poor kid looks like this, like, you know, Benjamin Button-type human, which I felt really bad about thinking because it turns out that he is a grown man playing that he's 12 years old. He was 23 when this movie came out. Are you When this movie was made. Me? No, I'm not what? kidding you. He has that made a That is upsetting. <laughs> well he's made a career though for like being like the voice of like young kids in like animated like cartoons and stuff which is like awesome that you can use yeah. your strengths to get like work and things but in actuality he was only four years younger than katie mcgrath while this was being filmed no so i, I wrote dislike pasta <laughs> like <laughs> strong strong dislike yeah. Do not. Yeah. So no. that's a big kind of. Uh, now I'm just upset now. <laughs> there you go. It's a what the fuck moment that is like a little strange. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ugh. All right. Um. Okay. So at the end of this movie, when we find out that Ashton is a prince on his mother's side, we find that out because 
she doesn't know that they're in line for a throne somewhere. And I'm very confused about what kind of conversations these two people have had with each other in the past six plus months or so. Because how does she not know this before marrying this man? (laughs) (laughs) Like, of all the things that could, like... Like, I think the last line of the movie is her just being like, really? We're, like, we're in That's life exactly right. Besides yeah. the narrator. Yeah. She's yeah. like, really? Yeah. Like, so, like, how did that not come up? Like, there's certain things where it's like, I didn't know you didn't like, you know, I don't know, cilantro might not come up. But, like, oh, yeah, I'm a prince? You would think would. <laughs> it's just such an awkward time and place for this conversation but wait hold on one second though but doesn't she find out that he is a prince earlier in the movie because he does say like the titles on my mother's side doesn't that happen a little bit earlier okay, and, but then yeah. she doesn't put two and two together that like that, maybe oh, you're, maybe you're right that they, they, like she knows he's a prince but like the fact that they do not discuss that they're in line for a throne at any point is is still very weird I agree, but the but even more weird to me is the fact that he is a prince, so you don't automatically assume he's in line for a throne somewhere because <laughs> he's a prince. Right. That's in- almost like, you know, Mrs. Biden saying, wait, you could be president <laughs> when he was vice president. Like, that's just, it doesn't follow <laughs> to me. Right. Right. I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it's very much anyway. like that. Like, because also... You know, like, there are princes, I think, who are just really not in line for the throne, basically. You know, like, when you when you get down to it, there are, like, the, like, cousins or, or second or third cousins of um, William and Harry, I think, are, are technically princes and princesses. But, like, they're not getting anywhere near that throne. True, but I don't know if this is, like, a hallmark hallmark or just a trope of some sort, but... Most of the time when, like, like British nobility know exactly what number they're in. in terms yes. Of line. I'm 127th in line for the throne, you know? Yes. I, I will. I, I do give you that. But what my point is, I don't feel like the Americans really put that together very well. Uh. So if Jules is American, she would hear Prince and think, one day we'll be king. Ah, that's true. Um, On that note, though, I did have one, like, other sort of what the fuck, but really more of a philosophical discussion about Americans in these types of movies and sure. the kinds of tropes that um, you see all the time about the American at the royal house of some thing. Well, I do wonder if you are going to touch on one of my Hallmark Hallmarks. So go I ahead. might, but... I I specifically want to point out a specific line that Mm -hmm. to me is like the broad stroke of this, I guess, dichotomy. Um, They're at a tea with uh, Ashton's friends and that's where you meet Lady Arabella and they and and uh, she seems a little bit lost. And they say, um, what, don't you have proper tea where you're from? And she's like, well, no, hot wings and a bud is what I usually have. And I'm like, hot wings and a bud. Like, all American, like, values seem to always be distilled into shit food and shit drink. Like, <laughs> Right. 
We don't all it do that. It makes me mad. <laughs> right. As somebody who doesn't want hot wings in a bud. Ever. And plus, you know that Americans don't take tea, bitch. Like, we have coffee breaks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, but it does bother me that that seems to be a trope that Americans couldn't possibly have a palate that's better than McDonald's and Coke. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Agreed. Do you want to jump into Hallmark Hallmarks? Let's jump in. Okay. Um, so I'm going to hold off on the one relating to your latest what the fuck until the end. I think that's what I want to okay. do. Um, so let's start with we have precocious children who are acting out because their parents are dead. <laughs> Yeah, you basically had my first two and you put it together so succinctly. Good job. Um, We have the belief or not of Santa. True, true. Uh, We have the two lovers literally running into each other. You took the words right off the page. Bang, crash. (laughs) Uh, We have the worry that Santa won't find them without the proper Christmas decorations. It's legit. Yeah. Uh, we have a, this other woman who is in in the way, and she's terrible, and we know she's terrible because she's terrible with kids. That is true. Speaking of that other woman, we have the quote, we aren't engaged per se, but we might as well say we are because right. everyone expects it. Right. Uh, we have a decorating the tree scene. Um, we have the kids melt the heart of the Scrooge. Mm-hmm. True. Um, we have the two leads. One is somewhat uptight and has trouble letting loose, and the other is like a goofball who is trying to like relax and like take the stick out of the ass of the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we so succinct with our Hallmark Hallmarks? I know, right? <laughs> um, we have overheard and misconstrued. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we have the quote-unquote real girl who comes to the castle and makes friends with the staff. Yes. I have and kind it... of a small, like, the help are always the best characters. <laughs> Um, but my, my, my last one is Grand Staircase Descent in Fancy Dress Entrance. Very true. All right. Pretty Parade. Pretty Parade. Hannah, I have a feeling that you should start this one. Okay. I, I have things to say about the costuming of this movie. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in general... When Jules is wearing a dress of any kind, they kind of suck. She is a jeans girl. She should just be wearing jeans. That's what I learned from their little funky dance outfit. <laughs> like, she looked great in that. He looked great in that. She's a jeans girl. So, just, like, broad strokes don't like her dress. Dresses. The fanciest ball gown that the staff gets from Vienna is terrible her whole look that night is terrible oh my god she so the the ball gown i don't know if did you have you ever seen what a girl wants the amanda Bynes movie where she goes to find her yeah okay so 
With uh, Dilf Colin Firth. Yes, exactly. So she, her dress that she wears, so in that movie, like she's given a dress to wear to a party that's basically like blue satin and brown like chiffon on top. And it's horrible Mm. and it, it makes her look a little cousin it like. And I feel like it's the same base for this other. Interesting. Yeah. It's the same color scheme. There's like weird parts that are like nude, but they're not exactly nude. Like they, they just, they're, they're supposed to, they're clearly supposed to be nude, but they don't quite get to the like alabaster skin color of Katie McGrath. And yeah, it's pretty much just tan. Yeah, like it's it's like awkward looking because it it's yeah it's like th- they don't match. It's not sheer. And then also it's like the way it's designed. It almost makes it look like there's something in the front and the back, but not really the sides because of that nude, <laughs> which is very awkward. And then she's got this like sparkly thing in her hair, which in theory could be pretty, but looks a little too cheap. And then. She is wearing a ring that I can only describe as a sparkly sea urchin. <laughs> it's just not good. I mean, I'm not I don't want to say that she looks really bad because she's so beautiful, she's sort of pulling it off, but like But it's ugly it, as fuck. It's, like, it's ugly I mean, as fuck. just hands down, it is yeah. the most uh-uh. anti pretty parade I think we will ever have. <laughs> I on hate this it show. so much. <laughs> I've always hated it, and I've never understood it, and especially since it's supposed to be this grand dress that comes from Vienna that they they scrimped and saved to get over the course of a day or two. You know, like it is just not like it doesn't even look like one of those fancy dresses that you get in a lot of Hallmark movies where you're like, but this is a prom dress, right? Um, But you like sort of can pretend that it was a ball gown that was fancy. It just like clearly wasn't. This is like. I don't really yeah. know what happened here. Like, it's too... Seriously. Too out there. It's bonkers. And it bugs me that I love Arabella's dress so much. Oh, it's right. my it's only very... pretty parade in this whole movie. Besides, like, the house and the, sh- the, sh- the chandeliers. Chandeliers. But yeah. <laughs> Arabella's dress is, like, a cobalt blue, like, off the shoulder. Her hair is, like, mm-hmm. up in this little diamond thing. It's gorgeous. She looks like classy and sophisticated and modern mm-hmm. and lovely which i think should have been what jules was looking like being like the modern american coming in changing shit up so it bugs me from like a character level <laughs> as well as it being pretty that our girl should be in the shitty dress so i i hear you i hear you completely thank you for coming to my ted talk <laughs> uh did you have any across the universe yes i did Okay. Um, this is the same motherfucking castle as was in A Christmas Prince on Netflix. And I'm pretty sure that I have that I saw this same castle in another movie recently. Oh, it's the same castle with um Christmas uh no, Royal Matchmaker with um Bethany Joy Lenz. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's the same one. Same castle. Um, I think so they just must, obviously they're getting must, good money off of this. Yeah, they they must just rent it out for filming. Like that's the only thing that makes any sense because when told, 
oh, we need to go to a fictitious, teeny tiny European country. I guess they call these people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was also another quick, quick across the universe that was just kind of a sly nod. Um, at one point, somebody's adjusting Miles's bow tie, and they say, uh, like, you look like 007, or 007, oh. eat your heart out, which yeah, is hilarious, so... because obviously Roger, Roger Moore. Moore was James Bond, so ha-ha-ha. Ha-ha-ha. Uh, new and noteworthy. Nope. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I have is that Jules states that she really likes working and wants to go back to work. Ah. Which I thought was nice because you often get like this idea that they're gonna be I don't want to say a princess is a homemaker that feels a little wrong but like yeah I don't know I guess it's also pretty new and noteworthy that like it would be your niece and nephew that have the royal connection that that you are connected by family to this royal family um Mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't really happen all the time that's true that's true so yeah that's it Supporting shoutouts? Uh, I put the staff, especially Abigail. Uh, I have the overacting servants, especially <laughs> Abigail. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Uh, so, yeah, they they are they are chewing that scenery like nobody's business. <laughs> and for I'm here sure, for they're it. having the most fun being the best help. <laughs> I just like the part that I love the most uh, in terms of overacting is so at one point Maddie has this doll whose head keeps like popping off and at some point the head goes missing and Abigail is like her maid and so she basically has a meltdown over the fact that she has lost the head to this doll for this poor little like (laughs) six or seven year old (laughs) and what also this makes me think of all the time is so when I was little I had a goat uh stuffed animal oh I thought you meant an actual not a real goat it was a stuffed animal it was a goat in a dress I loved her um and her head swiveled um and I slept with her like a teddy bear like you know like in my arms kind of thing that you do as a kid and or still like you know yeah but, like, I, I, not in a long time, personally. That's what the cat's for. Uh, he hates it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I distinctly remember the feeling of one night waking up and realizing her head had popped off. Oh. And, like, that react, the reaction of just, like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I don't even think I knew the word decapitate, but, like, knowing that's what had happened and being like really upset and like like realizing that you know this is a stuffed animal it's not actually that big of a deal but like like kind of being really horrified and my mom put it back together for me but she couldn't make it stay so she ended up sewing the head on so it could no longer turn and then I didn't like the dog didn't like it as much anymore oh <laughs> that's so sad I know it's very sad but like I I have very you know when I think like what was your favorite childhood toy I'm pretty sure it was white flower like that was her name that's what I called her my little goat in a dress (laughs) full disclosure I still have my favorite childhood toy and it's still on my bed so there you go 
I, yeah, I don't have any of my stuffed animals. I'm just looking around my apartment. I only have one stuffed animal and it's, and I only got it a, like a year and a half ago because, um, I, re we made it when I was little with my grandmother. It was one of those patterns where like the pattern is on the fabric and you mm. cut it out and you sew it according to what the fabric says. And I remember we made it like my grandma and me. And when she died, that was one of the things that I really wanted. So that's in my apartment, but that's it. Anyway. Here we are. Here we are. So. Kiss meter. Kiss meter. So there are two kisses in this movie. Right. Or, or like two plus, because there's like a multiple kisses in the hallway of the ball. But we'll call that one just to make life easier. And then the wedding kiss. So for the hallway kisses, I gave it a 7.75. All right. Because uh, I, I actually thought it was, it was sweet. And I thought in terms of filmmaking, it was actually a very well-framed kiss and shot. Because they're like framed that. by the windows and it's snowing and it's very pretty. But... It is also awkward in terms of time and place. <laughs> like, like it's such an awkward, like, I need some air. I think I'm going to follow you with, while you get some air. I broke up with my girlfriend maybe 30 minutes ago, but I love you. Also, all those people are right over there. <laughs> There's a lot happening where I'm like, eh, nobody's watching, but also, eh, I don't know. I mean, that's like what happens with Cinderella, you know, well, except for breaking up with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so let me take you on my number one kiss journey. Um, so initially I decided to keep it in and not edit it because I thought it was funny. Um, I hope you do too. So I wrote down an eight because I liked that it was short and like soft and like lovely and I thought it really sweet. And then I wrote, actually, never mind, seven. <laughs> Um, because as it continued, like all the kissing and whatever, it got less cute. And then Sam Hewen does this like little, I, I call it a hug wiggle. Like, you know how when you're like pretending to make out with yourself when you're like a teenager and you're like doing the shoulder and the hip swivel and stuff like that or whatever. He does that with her. And I'm like, that's a little, what? <laughs> so... It got knocked down a peg for fair. Very the hug fair. wiggle. <laughs> All right. And then we have the wedding kiss, which I gave an eight. Oh. I just thought, you know, it's appropriate. It's fine. Sure. Well, I, so I gave it a five because it was, to me, it was just like a light peck and any kiss that takes place in a carriage will always be compared to um, Jennifer Ely and Colin Firth in Pride and Prejudice. Even though Colin Firth is a shit-looking kisser, it's still, like, ultimately up there in terms of carriage kisses. So I couldn't write it very high because <laughs> I was like, no. And your logic is quite sound. Thank I you. I like your logic. I appreciate that, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would think so. And hopefully one other person who might be listening to this podcast. No, but that completely tracked. I was like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep, uh-huh. <laughs> Follow. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so, Hannah, would you watch this movie? Yes. 
just just flat flat yes it's really dumb <laughs> i love it love it's it. also it is hard to find a hallmark christmas movie with prettier people oh hell yeah yeah like like both of those actors are would not stoop to hallmark in 2020 yeah like the, that this is clearly like early career shit for them yeah you're right um they're they're so pretty also sam hewan like you just gotta love him everything he does it you just kind of are like but i like this guy <laughs> yeah like i just i i just love him and he, i can't even get pretty. through outlander personally like i just it got too soapy for me but like ah. which is saying a lot i suppose but i just He's just, I just love him. <laughs> I I agree with you that this movie is um something a little bit different than the normal Hallmark stuff that we see. And it being kind of early on, it makes sense. I would say that, well, to answer the question that's on everyone's mind, yes, of course, I love this movie. I would absolutely recommend 100% must watch of these types of movies. But the reason being is it has so much heart. Besides it being like pretty people, not pretty outfits like mm-hmm. we discussed at nauseum, yeah. but um, <laughs> um, th- it seems to be able to do the princess Christmas family love thing in a way that's not hurried or insincere yeah. or too deceptive like you always see. Well, so, I, um, I would also say that this is one movie where... I believe that these two characters who are sort of thrown together had the time to be attracted to each other. Yeah, and like, that's totally fair. Speaking of something like Royal Matchmaker or whatever that one was called, like I I was like, when did they fall in love? I I missed Never. it. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas like this I didn't feel that way. Like I I'm like, these two people clearly fell in love with it while they were dancing um, because they get each other out of their shells and, like... Agreed. It works. So. Agreed. So. <laughs> um, hey, princess for Christmas. Woohoo! Do you uh, want a princess for Christmas or do you want to be a princess for Christmas? Like, both of them have... It's true for both of the characters. Yeah. Right. I mean, she. this is basically the better version of A Christmas Prince. For sure. Much better. Less deception. Yeah. She's not as bonkers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for listening. All of that. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter. One kiss means forever. Uh, one and four are new numerals. And we are tweeting something like three times a week. Mm-hmm. Brand new movies since uh, it is... Full-on Christmas season here in TV land. Um, Countdown to yeah, Christmas. There's, there's so many. Of Christmas. It's a wonderful lifetime. We're doing it all. It's fun. Yeah, there's so many. There's like, what, something like seven or eight premieres a week. And obviously we can't do all of them, but like, it's crazy And now. if you think we don't have a spreadsheet with all of this 
mapped out, you're wrong. (laughs) Gotta make sure we get them all. Gotta catch them all. (laughs) So if you would like to request that we do one of these specific um, plethoras of movies, um, you can email us at onekissmeansforever at gmail.com. And that's all spelled out uh, alphabetically, as you would see on our logo. Yes. Uh, and as always, thank you to Flint Pastors for our intro outro music. You can find his stuff on Apple Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, and we hope you are uh, all good because I believe this is coming out right after the election. So hopefully, either we don't know anything or things went good. Yep, fingers crossed. Anyway, talk to you later, guys. Goodbye. Bye. I did decide today that painting my toenails blue was going to help.